you have stumbled upon Behind the Buzz, a Public Fit Theatre Company's occasional podcast discussing the plethora of production processes. <laughs> I'm just I'm just testing the pop shields here at APF headquarters. The plethora of production processes that go into the creation of our season of plays and stage readings. Believe it or don't, this is episode three of season number three. And believe it or don't, I'm APF producing director Joe Kukin, and I'm joined... You better believe it, by artistic director Anne-Marie Perrette. Hello. Hi there. And today's the day we talk about the second stage reading of our season, Alistair McDowell's Brilliant Adventures. Later on, Anne-Marie and I will be joined by director Jake Staley and uh, child prodigy Ryan Ruckman. And if I seem a little extra irreverent today, uh, I think it has something to do with the nature of Alistair McDowell's work. He's known for his... Um, his stylistic experimentation and kind of unconventional narrative structure. Although I'm not sure that's really the case with Brilliant Adventures, but I have a few people here to tell me if I'm wrong. Am um, McDowell is a is a bit dark and surreal, even for you. Uh, what did you find so appealing about Brilliant Adventures uh, that you decided to include it in the season? Um, well. Uh... Anything that has to do with time travel, I'm... I'm spoiler a, alert, spoiler <laughs> <yes>. alert. <laughs> time travel in a cardboard box is just, is is really cool. And the fact that they would believe that that a cardboard box is, is a time travel machine, I, I found that to be fascinating. Um, also, there's a, a character in the play that comes in, a, in an unconventional package that is... Uh, leads the audience um, to believe that he, that he's a genius and he's the creator of the time uh, travel machine and he has a bit of a stutter. He is part of a, a, a family. Um, we could say that his brother is a, is a drug dealer. And in spite of all that, he, he tries to, to do his best to be an ethical person. And I, I'm really attracted to people in unconventional packages. He also stutters. Well, it's an unconventional family, too. I want yeah. to ask Jake and uh, Ryan uh-huh. about this when we, when we bring them in. But there is, in, in a lot of ways, well, maybe not a lot of ways, in some ways, mm-hmm. it's a family drama. It's, a, it's about a sort of family that has lost itself and is finding itself. There, there's a really deep family. Right. You, also, you make a lot of assumptions about each of the family members. And, right. and, and the playwright kind of takes those uh, assumptions and turns them on its head by the end of the play, and so I, I find that to be very appealing. Right. Well, let's 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 bring the fellas in, and uh, uh, I'm going to introduce them really quick. Uh, Jake Staley, our returning champion, received his BFA in theater and dance, emphasis mind, <laughs> uh, at the University of Wyoming, then moved to Florida to complete his MFA in acting at Florida State University uh, for actor training, where he spent some time abroad, actually studying in London. You probably saw him over in Cockroach. Uh, in Still Dance the Stars, but you certainly saw him here at a public fit in any number of staged readings, but also in Elephant Man, August Osage County, Things I Know to be True, and most recently he was one of of those three with that heavy line load in Three Days of Rain. As a director, his staging of uh, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins' Glorious started off last year's reading season. Hey, Jake. Hi. Thanks for showing up. Was oh, that your real voice? Yeah, you it, put was my, it was my really excited voice, and I'm like, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that, too. <laughs> Let me introduce Ryan really quick. Ryan, Ryan Ruckman is a grad student at UNLV, where he is frequently cast as very, very old men. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, <laughs> Even right? though he's so young. That's not, I mean, that's fair, I mean, right? That's fair. It is. Okay. No, it's a fair uh, you, you saw him in NCT's productions of The Cherry Orchard and A Midsummer Night's Dream and Ring Around the Moon. He and his lovely wife, Betsy, who you also know, you know her, you loved her in Things I Know to Be True and Three Days of Rain. Uh, the two of them are expecting their first child. We just found out any day now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah, very soon. Very, very soon. soon. Very, very Ryan, soon. thanks for thanks for showing up. Absolutely, thank you for having me. So awesome. I, I'm going to start with you, uh, Jake. You're you're a big fan of Alistair McDowell, just sort of writ large, all of his his work in general. What's the appeal? I asked Emery this question. What's the appeal to you? Um, I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said unconventional like uh, storylines in terms of how they're presented in, in terms of the timeline. I really like. Uh, to be fair, Brilliant Adventures is fairly straightforward there is something used to where you go okay that breaks the timeline up um but he usually um presents things kind of how i've come to associate it kind of like a puzzle that's to be worked out um and i've gotten lost with this play in particular i think at the beginning where i really tried to figure out exactly what was going on um, I, as I did when I was an actor in the play Pomona, I played the character of Charlie. And That's I, another Alistair uh, McDowell yeah. play, yeah. And then uh, recently reading uh, the play X and trying to figure out... Another every, Alistair uh, McDowell yeah, play. Yeah, I love this guy. And uh, <laughs> I he, hope he's listening. <laughs> yeah, he, it's just always so interesting. I think he writes very, very accessibly, too. I think it's difficult to memorize, but it's it's very rolls off the tongue and it, it doesn't feel stilted in any way. Um, his dialogue. His dialogue. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's a little irreverent with his characters. He's very realistic with the characters. Um, and he's not afraid to set something like with, you know, with a time machine in it or on Pluto or in some, you know, mysterious underground bunker where people are having their organs taken out. And it's, you know, it seems kind of vulgar and scary, but, his work is often vulgar and scary and and really mesmerizing because of that and then also humorous in other parts to kind of just have this huge breadth of ups and downs. We've I just talk, really like it. Well, we've talked we've talked around this play a little bit and uh, you've mentioned Pomona and X and some of his other other stuff. Ryan, what what's what's this play about? What's Brilliant Adventures about? Um, I think it's about brotherhood in some ways. I think it's about um, figuring out where exactly you fit into the world. Um, I think that there are certain characters, I think every character is on a, on a particular, and just from my reading of it, every character is on a journey of discovery as far as finding out who they are and how they fit into the world. I would argue that Ben is the farthest along and arguably that has to do just because he's older. That's you, you play Ben, yeah, the very, ben. very old guy. He is, he's extremely earlier. old. Um, <laughs> but it, but you what know, is he, 32? As we, as yeah, <laughs> just, you know. That's like the oldest guy you've ever he's, played. Yeah, he's, well, but yeah, <laughs> yes. He, uh, no, he's, he's, he has a better sense, I think, than some of the other characters do of who they are and how they fit into the world and how they can make the world better for themselves. Okay, be, be a little um, more specific for me. We talk, I mean, the, I, a journey of discovery, finding out who you are. We can say that about a lot of plays. Certainly. Right? But, this is, but Brilliant Adventures is not like a lot of plays. It's very, all, no. it's very different. And we've given spoiler warnings before. I'll give one again. If you really want to be surprised 
and and somehow managed to miss it and reset in the first five minutes time machine and, <laughs> right, and yeah. cardboard box. Well, stop listening now because we'll probably put some spoilers out there. Is are there what are, what are the plot points of the play that make it so unique? I mean, the things that you've talked about, the growth of characters and the character arcs and the and the struggle to maintain family, all those things. I can I can think of a half a dozen plays off the top of my head that do that. This one does sure. it differently. How does it do it differently? Um, it it is. There, it's the family is is rife with dysfunction. Yeah. Um. They, the brothers. You get a sense from one of the characters that the brothers have always had a certain connection. However, it's almost they're almost like two. In in a way, they're almost like two stranded lovers who just never can find each other at the right time. Wow, that's interesting. And well, at this point, they just I, they're they're unique characters in the sense I think that they are virtually never on the same page. And yet, when it's time to be on the same page, they get there very quickly. Um, and they're just very different people. Yeah. And I think Ben and Greg, in a lot of ways, offset that very well because Greg, in a lot of ways, wants to be somebody like Ben, wants to be somebody who rises above, you know, whatever it is that he's came that he's come from and ben, that he's ben, dealt with before. Yeah, Ben, your character comes into this setting yeah. from outside. He's an outsider. He's an outsider. He's sort of inserting outsider. himself into a situation. What's yeah. what's what's his story? Um, I think he's an outsider in the sense that you it doesn't talk about this necessarily, but you get the sense that he perhaps had a different path for himself laid out, and maybe it was a path that was not laid out by him, but by somebody else. And he didn't take that path. I believe he took his own path and has reached the point that he is because he decided to do exactly what he wanted he's to do. He's a gangster. He's a, he's a criminal. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, but he's also, in a lot of ways, a he's an exceptionally bright character. And one thing that he notices very quickly is the dysfunction between the two brothers. And there is a... I don't know. The caper, in a lot of ways, is just how quickly and swiftly he can manipulate the situation... And playing that was certainly a lot of fun because sure. McDowell writes those twists and turns so well, I think. And, you know, the secret to a lot of this acting stuff is that when it's written that well, a lot of the work is done for you. Right. Um, you you can just you, you just trust the you, it's really easy to trust the writing because it's just so good. You know, what I think is interesting about your character is that, I mean, I don't I hate to classify people this way but they all seem to be a bunch of bottom feeders <laughs> and Ben especially he seems to understand how that system works mm -hmm. right there's like a class system amongst mm -hmm. all of these brothers yeah. the, the this brotherhood uh, uh, of um, bottom feeders and he's able to take advantage of desperate people mm -hmm. and so in terms of the class system he's at the top of the class system to me but in terms of uh, appeal I, I i find him to be at the bottom because he's so mercenary mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh I, mean, I, I think that's true so I, I i've been pleading for specificity none of you want to do it emory you passed ryan you passed i'm gonna just do it then since no one do wants it, to Joe. Do tell it. You you we do can't it. read your mind i will just tell you that, <laughs> that brilliant adventures is set in a very specific location on the mm -hmm. outskirts mm -hmm. of london i believe middlesbrough middlesbrough, middlesbrough yep a very specific location in, in England, a depressed area. It's set uh, in the flat of two brothers and their sort of near-do-well friend uh, who probably are drug dealers and do whatever they can struggling to get by. The entire area is depressed. Into this situation comes your character, Ryan mm -hmm. Ben, uh, who discovers that in this uh, flat, um, one of these genius 
brothers has actually invented a time machine, a mm -hmm. working time machine, and he uh, sets upon a plan to get that for himself, threatening everybody and uh, all their relationships in the process. That's that's yeah, correct. That, that's, okay. You're right. That's what right. Happens. Oh, so that's you, what it's about. You, yeah. you, you genuinely passed, just you're, want to you're know the what, best. <laughs> you're, you're the best. Uh, can we can we all just oh, take a wow. moment of silence? You've definitely read the play for how cool I am. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Tiny, Golf clap. Tiny clap. That's not that's not silence. <laughs> oh, oh, oh brother. I didn't clap for whatever it's. Oh, called. good lord! Okay. Uh, I'm not even in silence. Do that, right? <laughs> so that, well, I mean, but no, the reason I the reason I wanted to be so specific, Ryan, is because you used a word that I really liked when you were describing it. You said caper. You yeah. said the caper of yeah, the of I the like play. Is that do you, does that resonate with you? I, I just like that. I usually like to, you know shows and stuff or anything that has a caper. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, let's pretend this one does, and it does. I mean, yeah. there's 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 stealing and and chasing after and and people going in and out of doors <laughs> so, <laughs> there is a work. sense of an exchange of objects well and yeah. there's there's big <laughs> way to I was, I was just talking with Anne marie about it i had we she kind of helped me realize something you know, and that there's weight to you know something that happens. Are we allowed to talk about spoiler moments? You know? Yeah, I, you know, I just you, said time machine. I tried. I tried are, desperately well, to stay away. From yeah, it, I know you were doing I the right was, thing. I, was, like, I, was I don't rebuked. know if we can What we've discovered. Rebuked. What we've discovered in talking to people who listen to actually listen to these these podcasts, and you'll be surprised. People actually listen to these podcasts <laughs> in no, Greece. Nobody was more surprised than I. But anyway, what we learned from some of the people that that uh, that listen to these is often they will start to listen and they'll turn it off. They'll watch the play and then they'll come back after seeing the show to sort of uh, just sort of get a sense of, of what maybe uh, we were thinking about or, or oh, trying yeah, to find well, answers to plays, questions plays, that weren't answered during the buzz for them. There's sure. a lot to unpack in plays. It's and, true. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes you, you want to unpack with different voices and different perspectives. And we've only been doing sort of the, the current season um, uh, for these podcasts for a short time. And when we did during the, during the, we started all of this, of course, during the lockdown, mm -hmm. um, because there was nothing else to do and we had the microphones and what the heck. So, uh, we decided when the, you know, when the lockdown ended to continue and use these as, as promotions. And yes, they serve um, that purpose as well. But I think also they just, you know, give people an idea of what goes on in the rehearsal Mm -hmm. Process that they don't always get to see what goes on in your mind as a director, what goes on in your mind, Ryan, as a as I a performer. secretly like it too because it it actually helps prepare me for the performance, right? Yeah, I yeah. I haven't uh, been with this play for a, a, a couple of years now been, because we read it during the lockdown and we we're working on other things and we're working on other things. So now it gives me an opportunity to look at the play prior to the the performance at, at the library. And then it, it it spawns all of these great conversations. Like Jake yeah. and I had a nice conversation on the way over here. Yeah. So let, well, let's talk about let's talk about some of that um, specificity. Then we talked about its setting. Yeah. Why is the setting so important? And just remind us where it's set. Uh, it's set in Middlesbrough in a um, a council owned flat. So it's basically you know public housing in a sense that. Um, is run down with drugs. I think there's a reference to, and we talked about this early on in a rehearsal, that the setting is almost somewhat apocalyptic, mm -hmm. at least in this town, because well, there's made reference to a horse just outside. <laughs> what are you doing? Is that your horse out there? Oh. Is that your horse at the front? Yeah, well, why would I have a horse? Because <laughs> the horse knocking about outside your door. But there's loads of them around here. Oh, I thought I was going to charge me. Your head bought me a sonnet. Charge you? Yeah. People get killed by horses all the 
they, they, they stomp on you in that. We read it through a few times, and uh, Josh Berg, who's um, playing Rob, was like, hey, I've been meaning to bring up, I don't know, I was like, what's with the horse? And I'm like, you're, that is a fair point. You were hoping no one would ask, or <laughs> yeah, you just surprised kind of, by well, the like horse? like I said, there's certain puzzles in this play that I'm like, I don't get it, maybe I'm a bad director, but I'm also like, then I ask other people, and they're like, I have no idea. And I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one. But mm. I think we've settled on... It's <laughs> horse metaphor for moped. See, I mean, I like, I, I, see, that's the thing. The characters speak of it as though it's just a really commonplace thing. Like, yeah. it just doesn't. It does not all that surprising at all. In fact, one of them asks him if it's his horse. Is it set in the like, 1600s? In no, I mean, no, 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 but there is a reference. 2010, where uh, Ben says that he likes this area because it reminds him of the Wild West. Mm, yes, yeah. yes, right? yes, yes. You're right. So maybe they're tying those two ideas. Yeah, that sure. there's sci-fi elements in Western. Elements and yeah. Al, I, I watched an interview where Alistair McDowell talked about how he liked to write in a way where it's not a jumbled mess by any means. But he said I have a lot of influences, whether it be you know books, movies, TV shows, animes that I've watched, and I like to write from that place, which includes all of it. Um, so sometimes you get things that are like, "What was that?" But I liked it. It's interesting. And well, that must I really. Over... I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, no, must, but that must really speak to you, Jake, because I know you know you have a real interest in in science fiction and that yeah. and, and that sort of genre, but also in video games and gaming yeah. and and that whole idea. And I know that you brought some of those elements to bear. Yeah, it must feel very familiar. Yeah, I I I don't know what set me on that direction, but uh, he he's I think he mentioned something. He was like, I really just like to do what I like to do, and yeah. if you've got a good idea, go with it. And I was like. I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but um, I just really am influenced by video games and think they have the potential to tell great stories and be and affect me uh, on deep levels the way plays do or books or movies. And and, uh, so there was an element of, you know, this is such a bad idea, but I want to do it. I want to take maybe some video game music and put it in here. And what if we took one of my favorite games ever, Undertale, um, which was created by Toby Fox, and it's just a one-man operation where he designed the game, made the music, all this. And it fascinated me. A, a friend of mine had recommended that I, I play it, and he's like, don't don't go into it knowing anything. And I played it through for maybe 10 hours, and I cried. You know, like that that was influential for me to go, wow, games really can be profound. And, yeah. and for some reason, reading this play, Brilliant Adventures, and seeing these characters that had all these flaws and were so unappealing right off the bat yeah. uh um i think anime does that as well makes these characters that you start off a show and go oh these are going to be secondary or or peripheral characters that aren't a big deal and then later as the story progresses you go oh this is the main character of the show um, and then they endear themselves to you. So I, I just wanted to kind of meld those two worlds together and, and see what happened. And I think we've got some interesting things happening with it. So what's coming up at a public fit? Well, we've been talking with Jake Staley and Ryan Ruckman about Alistair McDowell's Brilliant Adventures. You can attend that stage reading on Friday, January 27th, or Saturday, January 28th at the Clark County Library on Flamingo Road. Tim Crouch's An Oak Tree opens February 3rd and runs through the 27th at Super Summer Theater Studios. A different, unrehearsed actor each performance. So pick your pony on that one. 
Uh, we're back to the library for our third stage reading of the season, Octavio Solis' Lydia on March 31st and April 1st. And then we're continuing our partnership with the College of Southern Nevada. Our final main stage production, August Wilson's The Piano Lesson, will be presented in their state-of-the-art black box beginning April 7th. Last but certainly not least, Abre Cephali's beautifully poetic alabaster will close out the season with a stage reading on June 30th and July 1st back at the Flamingo Library. And there's more behind the buzz, too. Look for new podcasts accompanying each of our shows and stage readings. Um, actually, next week or so, we'll be dropping a very special episode, a conversation with an Oak Tree playwright, Tim Crouch. So keep clicking refresh. So... Am I hearing you say that this is not a serious play for theater po- folks? This uh, is a play for uh, 13-year-old game gamers. Yeah. I, uh, I, no. I don't know. No. 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 Well, here's, here was that an interesting... Will certainly find something to here was, <laughs> An interesting topic Brian, my wife, brought up, and uh, I don't remember who mentioned it, but it was like, do you want to do theater that's for everyone? Yes. But then there's also a part of me that's like, I want to do theater for people like me sometimes or i want to do theater or whatever art and it's for 20 percent of you right it's sure. for 20 percent of the people and the other 80 percent. and we've talked about this very specifically with one moment in the show that we've done spent a whole rehearsal on and i think afterward i was just like i think 80 percent of the people are going to hate this moment but i love it and i hope you love it too <laughs> that, reminds, that reminds me i was in a theater oh jesus 30 years ago maybe um to see a production of of uh samuel beckett's waiting for gatto and sitting there minding my own business before the curtain went up. And I heard the, the people behind me sort of poo-pooing the, the notion of absurdism and poo-pooing the idea of, of Beckett writ large. And they were only there because someone had given them, their, uh, given them those tickets. And so they were there to see the show and they didn't really, that was going to be. And by the end of the show, their world had changed. You know, their whole oh, wow. perspective had changed. So theater that really wasn't, or they didn't think was being created for them, by the end of the show, they were sold. And mm-hmm. uh, the funniest, I don't know if it was the funniest thing, but at the end of the show, um, the man looked at the program and he said, Samuel Beckett, I wonder what else he's written. <laughs> you know, because now, now they're going to go out and find these, these types of plays. And I, maybe that's what you're doing as well, is if you present something that maybe only appeals to that 20% or to you or yeah. to whomever, and you present it in an interesting, fascinating way. Yeah. That's the goal, right? Absolutely. And I think I think we're doing that. I. I want to have a balance between, um, and again, I always go back to anime. It's something I've thought they do really well is is present this kind of absurdist comedy for about ninety percent of it, and then all of a sudden you get to this ten percent that becomes deadly serious. Yeah, and it's a gut punch every time for me when I watch it. And I was like, How, can we do that in theater too? Is Sometimes I see productions or whatever, and you're like, okay, this is a serious play, and okay, there's some comedy in it, but it's mainly pretty serious, versus the idea of, oh, this is really funny, really, really funny, and absurd, and then it got deadly serious. See, that's for, remarkable, because the first, thing that, the first thing that occurs to me when you say that is your production of, of Gloria, yeah, which is a, a play, I'm... I'm, I'm I don't have to tell you guys. You all, you all saw the reading, I'm sure. Um, but for the first act of that play, it's a lot of silly Light, banter, office fun. banter, people making fun of each other, um, some casual racism thrown in just for fun. <laughs> and then the last, literally the last five minutes of the play is a mass shooting. Yeah. Where a woman comes in and just slaughters 
everyone. That kind of sounds like what you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's written in to that play really well, Brandon yeah. Jacobs. And to be fair, both Brandon Jacobs Jenkins and Alistair McDowell are millennials. And I don't, I'm not trying to bring up differences of generations, but I was listening to, I can't remember who, or no, this was my wife that brought it up to me again. She influences my work a lot. Uh, uh, Shout out, Brianne. Somebody, somebody her. more intelligent than I had said on on some podcast or some YouTube video. That's a really good expert in dissecting things. He was like, a lot of millennial millennials are now the you know we're in our 30s, early 40s now. I think it may stretch to. I think so. And a lot of our stories have become about when written by them. There's it's about capitalism and daddy issues. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's exactly what my play is about. Yeah, you not my play, our play yeah, is is about that I'm directing. There's so it's it's there's daddy issues in it, and there's capitalism uh, uh, pointing fingers. I think a little bit, and this was back in 2010 too. You know, that was 12 years ago that he he. As an older millennial, Ryan, does that speak to you? Yeah, absolutely. As an older millennial, yeah, certainly. <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very, very old. The old man at the yeah, table. Yeah, very, absolutely. Very, very in my, in my vast and learned experience. I should explain this stupid inside joke. Uh, <laughs> Ryan is a graduate student out at UNLV. We've been working with his his wife much more than we've been working with him. I think this is the first thing you've done with us here at it APF. Is, yeah. 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 Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that we had noticed and that every time we would see Ryan perform out at NCT, um, he was exclusively cast in these sort of older roles. And like so, a 70 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> doddering canes, wheelchairs, funny walks, white beards. And we, we would tease Betsy relentlessly about this because it was funny. And then we met Ryan and just sort of kept the, kept the joke going. Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. You're, you're what, 40? I am. Yeah, so I, <laughs> that maybe that's old for graduate student I, it, UNLV. Perhaps, and you deserve all yeah. those rules. So there, that's that inside joke explained. But so as a, yeah, as an older millennial, I mean, that's yeah. really really what you are. Yeah. Does what Jake says does that make sense? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, there's you know, and even speaking from the the perspective of the character of Ben, you you not only have the capitalistic type of thing, but you also have even more relevant to what's going on now in our society. This autocratic type of leader who wants this sort of like control over everything and knows how to exploit the people at the very bottom. He even says as much knows how to exploit the people at the very bottom and get them to rise to action and fight against their own interests in ben, order to create the world he is trying to create. Ben comes in and kind of buys up the loyalties of people in town yeah. and creates a, a little army almost and and, yeah. and some real estate purchases in order to really take over this this whole area as a gangster. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you're fucking well out of that! So have you got a mansion or something? What? Like, like a mint car, Ferrari. I'm not really into things like that. You know, there's there's a Ruth. He's he's an interesting character to play because there always has to be. And Jake's good about Jake's good about keeping track of this. There's always there always has to be this tinge of ruthlessness to him, and yet there has to be a reason that these characters welcome him into their lives. Yeah. Um, beyond just you know 
wanting to make more money. Wanting more money, And yeah. beyond wanting some sort of, like, monetary gain. I mean, and he even talks about how Rob isn't necessarily somebody who's trying to rule the world by any stretch of the imagination, but he does know what he wants in the sense that it's easy for him to exploit that. You this, know? this sounds mm-hmm. like a really dark play. Why do I remember reading it and thinking it was a comedy? Oh, it's because it's fucking hilarious. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, you can yeah. No. It's because it's hilarious. It, it really is. It yeah. really is. The writing is very it's, on point. I, I, there's just so many things that he'll write that I'm like, I don't know if you could say that anymore per se and be funny. At least, well, maybe that was another play. Actually, I don't think there's anything in this that's. No, we've definitely added some things that are. Some somewhat offensive, but um, <laughs> oh, I, I did ask do one I actor. Need, I was do I like, need to start attending more rehearsals? You might, one of you two like may want to check before we open it. This one's so, <laughs> there's one moment that I even asked the actor. I was like, "Are you comfortable doing that? Are you sure?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "All right, then do it bigger." <laughs> oh boy, Emery, you got to go to rehearsal tomorrow. Oh, send send the female in with all the boys. This is well. That's another okay. thing. So this this is an all male cast. Does that change the dynamic of rehearsals? We can speak freely. Oh, Pretend sure. that Diane and Emery yeah. aren't here. Can we? Uh, does, it, does it change the dynamic of the way you guys work without having to? I thought the the only thing I was worried about was maybe an uh, ego butting heads, and then that has not been an issue I whatsoever. Yeah, I don't feel like that's been an I've, issue at all. I've lucked out twice with having uh, both with Gloria and now with this one, a cast full of people that are are really amiable menschy people. They're menches. You What's know, like straight. Jake, but, it's not luck. Give yourself some credit. Well, you audition and cast them. Yes, they didn't yes, fall yes, from yes. the sky as gifts you, from heaven. You don't know and you can't exactly, you know, you'll occasionally, we've all been part of plays or directed plays that you go, ooh. Yeah, I got an asshole. Well, Found an asshole and, yeah. and the, I've just, you know, there's an element of luck in that because you, you have 15, sometimes you only have 15 to a half hour to really kind of get a feel for somebody and then go yeah we don't have any more time you're cast you're in um but no i think it's pretty lighthearted. but i don't think it's that much different than um if you added a oh no i disagree if you Mm -hmm. added a female character to the text he would change the way uh the men these young men would communicate with each other there's a certain they talk about things amongst uh, themselves that they would not talk about if there was a woman there. Yeah, which is interesting because there was, I can't remember who did it. There was a production that they made the two, uh, spoiler alert, they made both Luke's women. They made, they cast them both as as, uh, female actors. Um, And I thought about that and I thought, oh, that'd be interesting. But you're right. There are certain elements that would kind of be like, oh, well, how how does that play? Um, And they, you know, they talk about masturbation they talk about this that and the other that you're like yeah that probably wouldn't be a mixed company discussion right so i think it's also important because we were talking about this before to to remember that there is a decidedly british angle to this and the humor that comes along with it there is a much more there is a much more cutting kind of humor that they are more comfortable with that I don't think always translates over here. We often just view it as being mean. And in a lot of ways it is, but it also is simply how they communicate with one another and mm-hmm. have, it's 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 a much older society than ours. They've been doing it a long time and yeah. they have a certain comfort level with cutting at one another. And yeah. it kind of is how they all communicate in a lot of ways. 
there's a playfulness to there's a playfulness to them tearing each other down, which is yeah, it's so really elevated, funny to watch. Elevated and elegant as well, so you you laugh along yeah. with it rather than you know you want to avoid it's sarcasm and beautiful or, all at the same or, time. <laughs> yeah, and, but it, because it's funny, it passes the test for yeah, really go for it. I Absolutely. actually have a question for you two gentlemen because it's obvious that you are not. English, right? Yeah, no, uh, and no. you you do have a Brit amongst you, and, uh-huh. and we also have friends that are Brits. Yeah. Do you feel like you've had to rely on on those Brits in order to yeah. find the story? Oh, uh, are there? Yeah, are there secrets that were sort of lost in translation until I just felt that way when I was working on Beauty Queen of Linan. You know, I I I worked with Daz, whose mother is Irish, and right, he kind of helped me understand those Irish sensibilities. So. Yeah. Yes, uh, we've got Josh Berg again, who's wonderful uh, in in his playing um, Rob, and uh, I've had to, you know, rely on him a little bit. Same with Andrew Calvert um, to be like, hey, what does is that is that what I think it is? And uh, um, he's also come to light with certain things. He's like, yeah, this this way of speaking, it's he's talking about verbs and certain nouns and the way a sentence is structured. And kind of the inflection too at the end is it just kind of means this, and you go, oh, okay. Um, shoot, it was last week that there was I was having a um, Jake Sidholm say a line a certain way because I was for certain that it was a certain way, and Brian had to take me aside and be like, that's not what that means, and I was like, you sure? I'm pretty positive. And then we asked Josh, and Josh was like, no, Brian's right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh yeah, all right, cool. Was, Why do we keep uh, hiring yeah. him? Why are we hiring, <laughs> hiring Brian? Apparently, yeah, it's all my good things. work comes from her. <laughs> I mean, Josh was quick to point out too. He's like, I'm not from this area. Yeah. He goes, I'm not from Yorkshire. I'm not from that area. I'm not from that part of England. He goes, I know. Oh, yeah, sorry. He goes, I know people that are from that area. And he obviously has a very good sense of what that accent should sound like. But mm-hmm. he was quick to point out. He's like, I'm not from there. He goes, and I guarantee you there are bits and pieces of this that are, to quote one of the characters, Middlesbrough jokes that you're not supposed to get. Huh. Like there are those instances where you get the impression that there are things about the way they talk and the things that they like, like they're really into chicken Parmesan sandwiches. <laughs> and I don't know why in that part of the world. And he can't explain that either. Like we talked about, he goes like, I guess they like those. I'm having the rest of caramel. Well, come on, Nana, let's eat that. Yeah, not why, but you don't grab it. Has he told you why he doesn't want me around anymore? He doesn't want me moving in either. I can understand why he wouldn't want a stack of sausage dog shite like you here. Zero one percent of the theater audience. <laughs> yeah. Probably even smaller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, these are small no towns. No one like... is going to like this show. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe get some of those references. But I think, no, I think no, but... I've always enjoyed, you know, one of the things that I always have found fascinating about watching, you know, old shows on BBC. Now, of course, we have so much access to all of this content with, with, um, I mean, even Game of Thrones, a fantasy world and, and The Crown and these, mm-hmm. these, these BBC uh, mystery series that we can access now on online um i've always just been fascinated by trying to uh decipher those cultural references and and just sort of let them you know uh i don't know sort of float over me and and um they're so they're easy to embrace i think if they're just accepted and and without too many fingers pointing at them too much too much flags pinned on them i think make them less effective mm-hmm. i think too we're we're making the assumption that if we are not like the people of the play or we have not been to the places where the people of the play 
have been or we don't embrace the cultural norms of the people of the play that we're not going to like the people of the play but mm-hmm. i love the people of the play and i'm mm-hmm. nothing like the people of the right. play so and, and i think that goes for lots of people because lots of people are empathetic well it goes for lots of plays too yeah yeah, yeah. and you definitely have a with the science fiction element that we we keep making mention of but i'm going to try really hard not to just say blatantly um with that science fiction element that you have you have you have sort of these interweaving fish out of water characters where technically none of them are from this council flat like the only reason luke lives there is because he's on a certain level of benefits and that's where they put him yeah um but rob doesn't live in that part of town greg doesn't live in that part of town i mean and ben obviously doesn't live in that part of town in a lot of ways they're all outsiders but the real fun fish out of water part is how this thing that he created he created in this place and I think there's something to that also that's really fascinating isn't and fun it, to watch. Isn't yeah. his... Not having access to this won't hurt you in, at all, to those of you who don't know anything about isn't northeastern his, England. Isn't his flat have no windows? Like the room where he uh, creates things? He's got them shuttered. Yeah. He's, uh-huh. he's got... Um, his bedroom doesn't His bedroom windows. doesn't... Right. He, he That's why he works in his bedroom. He doesn't sleep in his bedroom. He sleeps in the living room. And uh, Ben pieces it together. He's like, do you work in there because there's no windows in there? So you don't want people stealing your ideas. Right. I think that's kind of like a a metaphor for his character because he he doesn't need to be seen. Yeah. Right. He doesn't he doesn't need to show off. He doesn't need a degree. He doesn't need any of those things. What he really wants to do is just go into this dark room and create these things. He doesn't even want to use the time machine because he doesn't want to hurt society. He's really aware of the butterfly effect and how damaging that, that can be. So I find that endearing that he in a way, yes, this the government has allowed him to live in this place, but in a way he's chosen it as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause there is, you know, Rob gets on him and so does Ben about like, you're, you're so much better than everyone else. You could have done all these things and you kind of chose not to, um, you kind of said, screw it. I'm going to defy all that and do this other thing. Um, and yeah, there's, that's an interesting point. And why does he do it that way? Um, I don't know that I have the exact answer for that outside of, uh, dysfunctional family issues and, and patterns set by his dad, who's uh, a drug addict, you know, and we haven't even touched on that whole character either. Right. Well, uh, well maybe, maybe we leave that one to be a surprise. Yeah. That'll be an, an interesting yeah. surprise. Those of you who love uh, Timothy Cummings and want to see him in a uh, uh, an entirely new light are going to want to attend this reading just for, yeah. I think, just for that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Ryan, you use another word that I like or phrase rather. So you're two for two now. You got caper going. But you also Sweet. said, you said science fiction. Yeah. And we didn't. I'm certainly not the first person to use that one. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, 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 talking about this play. Yeah. Well, today, yeah. why aren't there? I mean, this is, I, I guess at its, at its root, it is described as a science fiction play. I would call it. There's there's science fiction mm-hmm. elements in it. We're yeah. talking about a, a time machine, and as far as I know, that hasn't been inv- invented yet. Um, why aren't there more science fiction plays? That feels like a genre that is actually um, not quite... It's, it's not very prevalent in the theater, which is odd because they're so popular in TV and movies and other media forms why not uh, my guess my guess and is you love them but i might be wrong i do I, I and i can't honestly i can't off the top of my head think of too many but well, all written by alistair mcdowell and i like them all uh they they're probably kind of hard to produce i mean they, there's certain things in it 
And actually, now, now that I think about it, his other play, Glow, I think, is probably the most difficult. Um, he just there's tall their tall order asks for for example in this show spoiler alert it's like they use the time machine and it says there's a brilliant light that comes out of it and there's smoke there's effects there there's also the um, Miss Saigon things. landed a helicopter I on know, stage that's true Phantom of the Opera that's dropped a chandelier afford, on the audience that's when they can afford hmm. to Starlight you know? <laughs> Express they implanted uh, all the actors with wheels they surgically implanted all their actors with, but, with okay, wheels but what Alistair uh, McDowell has done is he's created a low budget yeah. science yeah. fiction play that's right true. the time travel machine is a cardboard box right? Right. right it seems like the opposite of what science fiction would be normally when we we watch these shows on, on our on on the intertubes, right? They have these huge buzz- budgets, and so oftentimes playwrights think of science fiction and they think of it as, as a limitation, right? In order to create a play, because you need such a big budget in order to accomplish it. Yeah, I think there's also the uh, stigmas, right? Were there against science fiction as well? That's not real art. Uh, a little, a little. No, like, I, see. I disagree. Oh, I, think, no, I agree. I, I, I really? Would, yeah, oh, yeah. I would think you would have some people turning your nose up at being like, oh, it's a science fiction. Oh, well. Well, let, okay. let's step out of theater. It's arguably one of those things that has levels. Like, yeah. people argue over what the level of a certain thing is. I mean, you might talk about having, or degrees, maybe, because people like to put things into a box. I mean, where does the movie Alien rate against something like Starship Troopers versus something like the Star Trek saga versus something like Star Wars? I mean, some of it we, I think, people view as being amateurish, and then there are other things that I guess kind of just exceed this or, genre. I, 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 you can I, say I would push back anything, against the word but, amateurish, but I would say hokey. And I think I see. Mm, I think I see okay. your point because I think I think yeah, what you're suggesting is that, that some have a different sort of appeal. Sure. Yeah, and some try to be a little more highbrow. Blade Runner, right? Perhaps yeah, yeah. feels a little more highbrow yeah, than sure. what did you mention? Starship Troopers. Yeah, which is a, I mean a that's movie it's made by a man who hates humanity. True, think, it's but. it's a fun movie to talk about. You could t- have entire podcasts about it because it was a very misunderstood film based on you know having seen things about it. But yeah, that type of thing. There's a hokiness to that. Hokey's probably a good word for yeah. it. Yeah, I think of amateurish, and I think about the fact that there's an entire cottage industry of film where people take movies like Pacific Rim and make something called Atlantic Rim. Yeah, that's and fair. it's just a lower <laughs> budget version of the you exact same that's thing. absolutely it's fair. Unapologetically, you know, I, stand, uh, I stand corrected. You are absolutely fair. That's, that's specifically <laughs> what I was talking about when I said amateurish. So perhaps it's not fair. I love it. But you, you disagree, Emery. You think that there's a... Um, well, uh, is, I, I can just remember, I haven't watched it in years, but Firefly and its use of language, yeah. right? I, I thought there were, that... In, and was canceled after uh, Yeah, way I don't too mean soon. to be Dwight yeah. from The Office, but also Battlestar Galactica is amazing. Which yes. was canceled after <laughs> six seasons. And there's that other sci-fi that is so complicated that I haven't even been able to get into and, yet. Uh, no, and that's, that's fair, but I will just point out that none of the things that we've been talking about in the last three minutes are plays. Right, you're right, you're right. It's all TV right. and movies. And yes, there, there is a an aspect of, of it as being... Um, I don't, I don't think capital A art, but certainly thoughtful. They're, they're thoughtful yeah. productions, and I don't think that anyone could look at the the Battlestar Galactica revamp series and well, not I think what he's done and what uh, and what was mentioned earlier is he's created like a true mashup, like it's a family drama, right? Mm-hmm. It's sci-fi, it's Wild West, it's it, it's about brotherhood. It, it's, it's a 
24-hour play in one living room the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can it's do a, it. It's a mashup. He he didn't limit himself mm-hmm. um, by saying, oh, well, we, you can't do that in a play. Oh, no, oh, but, you can't but, do that but in a play. just remember what my, my original question was, which was why aren't there more science fiction know, plays? You're right. There should, I mean, there should be. I, I wish mean. there were. I, <laughs> I wish there were because I would produce them. Uh, I wish there were, I mean, going off topic here, I wish there were more plays about the environment, but we're not writing those plays. Right. You know, uh, we have a tendency to think of plays in a, in a certain way, and, and and they're typically family dramas or deeper, you know, in, in a sense. So, uh, I I wish there were plays that talked about uh, a wide breadth of stories. And hmm. speaking of sci-fi's that speak about the environment, yes, X. <laughs> oh, is that a? It's yes. actually about that. That's yeah. Alistair Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're right? yeah, yeah, and we're gonna read it so we're gonna because tease that's that out, a, that a, a subject I'm very interested in. Yeah. Okay, we're setting up a, a reading at the house for that. Yeah. We're yes. not we're not putting that on. We're not producing it. No. Well, we might. Yet. Yet. Who knows? Yet. Who knows? Who knows? Um, what's a? I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Uh, You've talked about just the vastness of sort of the the um, the setting and the strangeness of of it being set in a place that you might not completely understand. What other are the other bigger challenges in in staging this one, Jake? Um, there is a uh, recently we've overcome a challenge or at least a mental block in my mind. I wanted to do this. Oh, should I spoil more? Yeah, spoil away. We've got no one's going to get spoilers. Are crazy. We're doing this extended sequence we'll say that has uh, changing tempos and music and kind of choreography and that's not something i've ever really sunk my teeth into um and i mean i certainly have a dance degree but <laughs> yeah you, you never stop talking about it always always started flashing it, you, know, you started this war <laughs> and i will finish it um but it was something that i you know i almost talked myself out of and i talked myself out of one or two things from glory i can't remember specifically what but just making some riskier bolder kind of ridiculous choices that i'm like maybe you wouldn't make these for a main stage show um, and I'm glad and I'm, I'm thankful, grateful. We, we've, I've had a discussion with both of you about this recently where you both reaffirmed like, no, this is the opportunity and the chance to make those choices because the, you know, this is more of a, while we're doing completely legitimate theater here and it's, it's fully produced in a, in a way, it, it's a chance to make choices and, and fail big if we're going to fail. Well, that's, I, you want to talk about nice. that about a little bit about that, Anne Marie, about the, <laughs> the the nature and advantages of the readings and what they allow in terms of risk taking. Uh, well, I can talk about it in terms of um, my own experience directing uh, main stage shows versus directing readings. Uh, what we want to do for the public whether it's a reading or a main stage shows, we want to tell a good story. Always? Always. And what I love about the readings is the readings are free. So it's like theater for all. It's not, right? You don't need to be rich in order to attend the theater. And while our ticket prices are pretty reasonable, some people cannot afford a $40 ticket. And so that's the advantage of the readings. But the pressure that I feel when I'm producing a show because we are charging the public is different. I love when I'm working on a reading and I say, you know, I have this idea, I have this inspiration, I have this itch, I, want, I have this thing I want to try. And I'm like, yeah, let's just do it and see what happens. Uh, and there seems to be this, le- there's less pressure for this grand outcome. I, yeah. just, I just kind of put it out there 
and I see what happens. And because I, I take that pressure off myself, it seems like there's more of a freedom in the rehearsal. Like yeah. everybody is a little bit more loose about things. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it ends up usually working out because the pressure is not there. And I, I wish I could maintain that feeling in everything that I do because that's really like when you're in your flow state. Yeah. Does that speak to you, Jake? Yeah. I mean, I remember reading something or, or hearing something that was like the, the only way to really be creative is have a, a safe environment where you trust those around you and you don't feel like you're going to get your neck swiped or whatever, but also the stakes have been, I keep using stakes, but the, the pressure's off. The the sense of judgment is kind of lighter. And, and because of that, you're able, like Anne-Marie just said, to be freer and make bigger choices and honestly be more truly flow-like creativity going into it. It feels pure. It feels like, yeah, oh yeah, that's what I would do without all these other voices in my head that sometimes happen. Uh, you can get a little tunnel vision if I'm doing a main stage show or something. Uh, even as an actor, I'm like focused on my thing. I'm like, oh, I better not mess that up. Versus when it's a reading, I'm like, hey, mess it up. Who cares? Let's go. Let's. It, it's a playground in a sense. It's it, a sandbox. Well, it must be paying off. I can't, I've lost track of the number of times I've had people come up and talk about their experiences at readings. Uh, really enjoying them, but also saying, you know, just another, they're just one step away from a finished production. They're just one step away from being completely polished on their feet. Ryan, I, as a, you're a grad student, as we've mentioned a couple times, you know, mm-hmm. this, this sort of implies a bigger experience in, in, and a commitment to, um, to theater. Hey, it's no dance degree, but we can talk about that later. But what is? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jake. I, look, one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, I will let it go, but I just, it just slays me. Every time I think of Jake and a dance degree, I just... I can tap, man. It, I, can it, tap. I can't let it go. I'm I sorry. Tap, Diane man. cut that. That was terrible. Uh, right, <laughs> right. the part where I said, I wish I could tap. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's I lied. Legit. I wouldn't I, be sitting here with you, you I lied. goofballs Diane, if Diane, I could tap. Keep, yeah, keep all this. Keep all this. Keep this too. Keep it all. Um, be tap dancing but I, I wonder what your experience is with stage readings and whether how it feels as an actor uh, I don't know whether you've done dozens of stage readings whether this is your first one whether the idea of working with a script in hand is um, uh, liberating or constricting or how do you feel about it I've, I've done stage reading stage readings before but I've certainly never done one I've never been involved in a process quite like this where there were this many rehearsals and there was uh, this amount of consideration giving to the given to the blocking and the other elements um, of the show. And I think that I can't speak to how anybody else did it, but for that reason alone, I felt that I could not really change the way I prepared for it all that much. Yeah. So I've treated the prep for this, I've treated, and Jake and I have talked about this along the way, the, tre- the prep for this I've treated exactly the same way as I would treat anything else because yeah. I feel like you have to. Um, you have that script in your hand, certainly, but let's suppose for a moment that it falls out of your hand. Well, we can't, you know, just as we couldn't really bring everything to a grinding halt before, we certainly can't do it now either. So I think there's a certain element of needing to know the material backwards and forwards um, that is just as prevalent here, if not more so even. Do you feel the sort of freedom that Emery and, and Jake were talking about in terms of taking risks and feeling? I don't know that that has to, I, for my personal, I don't know that that has to do with the this style of production as much as it does honestly with Jake and clearly this is well, but clearly this is a trickle down type thing. And clearly that freedom for him came from Anne Marie and you know, from you. And so I don't think it has much of anything to do with the process itself. I think it has to do with the people involved in the process. So I've never felt like there was something I couldn't do or something that I did that 
was too much or anything like that. Well, that's fun. I would agree. There's a lot of times. Well, no, I'm just thinking back. A lot of times I'm like, oh, this is like the general way the world works. And then a lot of people have to be like, that might just be you, man. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) That is just kind of how my mind works. And I assume everybody else's minds works kind of the same way. You you guys both know that after all of our uh, performances, after all of our readings, we, we invite the audience to come back. We stick around. This podcast is named after that event, Behind the Buzz. We call that. Uh, the buzz, and I'm wondering if, if looking forward, if uh, you might want to make a prediction or two about where you think the buzz for this this Ooh. show might go. I always find that interesting to um, to sort of imagine what an audience might dig their heels into. You got something, Emory? Yeah, uh, Jake and I were talking about this at the end. The 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 play doesn't wrap itself up into a neat little bow, right? It does not, and, and it leaves a lot of open ended questions. And something that I thought about on on the way home is it it forces you to look at the play in terms of I think your own cynicism. Like, does it have a cynical ending? Does it have a more positive ending? Mm-hmm. Does it work out for this family? Oh, so you get to identify who you are based upon your reaction to the play. I, I, I think so, because he he doesn't put uh, the given circumstances in the play for... He doesn't give you the clues in order to figure it out, is my understanding. Yeah, there's still questions that I have on, um, you know, what exactly happens with uh, Lu- where Luke's character ends up, where does Rob's character end up? We're pretty sure, at least the script tells us, fairly certain what happens to Ben. Uh, we don't know what happens to Tim's character, who's playing the man. We don't know. Well, we're maybe less concerned with what happens with Greg, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not that he's not. We nobody we know likes he, Greg. He's had his. <laughs> he's just an awful, awful character. <laughs> it's a very good character. It's just there's there's less questions surrounding maybe what. His what fate. happens? Yeah, because he kind of finishes his arc. Yeah, I think, and you go, okay, I'm confident in what he's going to do. Um, but in in the more I think about it, there's a specific. I'm spoiling everything. Uh, listen to this after you're done with the show. There's a specific time that they jump back to in this time machine, and I'm like, why does that make sense? Why does he go back to that time? Why does he put the fishbowl back on his head? Why does he put <laughs> his dead dad and he rolls him into the time machine takes it back in time what good's that gonna do this is a year before luke's born what you know there's a and there's more than just that it's it's a bunch of things that the more i thought about it the more i'm like this doesn't matter this is this does not matter i've got uh, a lot of questions uh, now yeah i i mean it matters in a way but there's more the feeling and the feeling is that he's going back to rectify things you know so that's the general impression and that's enough to go off of. But I, I'm, we might get caught in the weeds with the buzz, with what I just did, a bunch of that. Well, what about this? Well, what, what about, about this? this? What about, what about this? Yeah. But hopefully there'll be more, I, what I think the big themes, or at least uh, forwards and backwards of it, are uh, capitalism, daddy issues, family issues. I know Alistair McDowell writes from a point of view of building off of, he always says he starts his plays with, well, this was a mother-daughter relationship. This is a father and son and I just started writing about it and then I decided to set it on Pluto all of a sudden you know <laughs> so it doesn't it's not like he's going in I don't think going it's set on Pluto and what are some interesting characters I can set on Pluto Got he it. does it in reverse so um, yeah that's what I think will be discussed what do you think Ryan certainly yeah oh yeah no I think there's one one of I think the major themes we haven't quite talked about at all is just generally speaking and I hate using that term but loyalty yeah um, oh, yeah 
who are you loyal to whom are you loyal to what are you loyal and to what degree and i think that each of these characters has struggles with that except again i think for ben being the slightly older character i think he has a more concrete sense of what it is he is loyal to and to what religion he he ascribes but at the same time he's he also becomes the immovable object that comes up against the unstoppable force, you know? Yeah. Or you could call it the other way around. You could, could call him the unstoppable force, but either way, like he, he's there to manipulate this situation. And for, and I think that there will be talk of that too. Right what, on. what does it take to be able to do something like that? How do we get involved in something like that? How easy is it to do something like that? So you're saying that, it sounds like you're saying that it is, all of these things that we've talked about started to me to sound a little bit out of reach and, and out of my comfort zone. But you're saying now, Ryan, that this is a pretty accessible play that people will be able to identify with a lot of these themes. Oh, I'm pretty sure Jake said it in like minute two. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To bring yeah. it back around. I think this is a very accessible play. Right I loved it the first time I read it. Oh, I, yeah. I, oh, absolutely. And I'd never read anything by Alistair McDowell, which is really unfortunate well, and probably not something I should admit aloud considering I'm about to get a master's degree at the same time. <laughs> but again, I, this is the type of thing where I'm like, I I'm, have a master's degree and I haven't read a lot of Well, things. yeah. And it, I, there's, there's, there's just so much out there. I will. I definitely, you know, I failed that one. I don't know who they're going to have to teach it. Probably Jake. But, um, so maybe I can get, you know, some extra credit somewhere. Uh, I apply like retroactively for being in the show, maybe. Um, but no, there's just, I, I think it's a very accessible I think it's a very accessible play. I think those video, those thirteen-year-old video game turds are going to find something <laughs> they like about it. And the people that love like the highbrow science fiction, they're going to find something they love about it. And people that like weirdo English stories, who like Britbox, are going to find something they love about it. it and it sounds like in a the Downton Abbey like crowd's going to find something they go. like about it. Yeah. If you want an accent, the accent is that of the people who work underground the downstairs the, the staff folks. like yeah. they're they're people from this part of the country and, got it and you know daisy and uh, mrs uh the cook I, also, <laughs> I can't think of her name i love her but i can't think of what her name is i also have to tip my hat uh you know the actors are doing such an incredible job too um uh, ryan and josh in particular really just come out s- swinging like crazy and i i i'm continually impressed with them granted i didn't know them before this uh, uh, process, but I'm, you know, both as the director and as an actor, I'm picking up things that they do, and I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna steal that. You're really good, you know. <laughs> like they, they're they come to the table with these choices and these this naturalism. Um, I think I think I told Ryan at one point, uh, you know, I don't think you could ever go too big to make me not believe you in some way. Like you could make. And some that's of the a most... dangerous thing to tell somebody. I know. Like me. <laughs> right? It's maybe a dumb choice. And I, I've done my best to I've done my best to respect his wishes, <laughs> but also to fuck his shit up. Every time. <laughs> no, but it's it's really incredible. It's fun to watch. Everybody involved is just is really. You know, doing I've, some great. I've, I've loved every second. I love going to these rehearsals. You don't always love going to rehearsal, but I love going to these rehearsals. Well, you've really expanded, Jake. You've really expanded the the APF sort of company. Um, we have a lot of new faces in this one. It's not just uh, Ryan's first time working for APF. You mentioned Josh. We have a couple of folks that we haven't seen uh, on stage for APF before, and that's always exciting to us mm-hmm. um, to to feel you know our our numbers swell in that uh, mm-hmm. um, respect. I want to really change gears, really completely change gears for a second. 
Um, this is our second stage reading of the season, and we're about to go into production with our second main stage show of the oh, season. Yeah. You are both scheduled yeah. to be um, second actors mm -hmm. for Tim Crouch's An Oak Tree, a play where one actor is constant, the second actor comes in having neither seen nor read the play completely un unrehearsed. And I'm just curious, I'm going to start with you, Ryan. Sure. What do you imagine is going to happen? And, and don't say you have no idea because that's clearly not true. You have to be imagining something. What uh. do you think that play is going to require of you. You're not going to get in trouble if you say that you've imagined something. Uh, absolutely, and <laughs> that you've thought about it, because you've certainly, hopefully, you've, you've, you've thought about it. And you can't give away any spoilers because you don't know uh, what's I have known. Yeah. I have known. Um, it's kind of, I, I would argue, it's kind of the perfect situation. Because in a lot of ways, um, I know that one thing I feel like I do know about it definitively is that there is only one other character. So one thing that I feel like I know about it is that there is, there's a hand there as far as there's a, a steady and guiding hand there as far as being on stage with somebody. Um, I, I think that in, I, I am, I am, I am hoping that this will be an exercise in my ability to listen. Yeah. And yeah. I believe that that is really what this is about. And it is a challenge that I accepted because first of all, I love improv. I'm mediocre at it at best um, without, I mean, I could improv in our brilliant adventures thing, but that's, we've been working on it forever and you should be able to do that when you work on something forever. But I think that this will be an exercise in listening, which is, which is a trouble area for me sometimes. Oh, so, wow. so I, it's, I, you know, part it's of this, hard. part of this grad it's school thing is things. figuring out what you're not great at. And oh, it's, yeah. it's something that I struggle with and I need to do better. And so this is a challenge where I anticipate me doing a lot of listening. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Jake, same question. I know exactly what happens. Uh... <laughs> oh, see, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, you I, are to, lying to, I took your advice, and I, I know nothing about this, I, this plan. Well, and I can't say anything that... Look, do you want to know what happened? Here's what happened. There was a pamphlet, all right? I'm, I'm, I don't know I'm outing myself, but I read a sentence and a half <laughs> of what the play was about, and I went, oh, that's about the play! <laughs> And I shot it, and I tried to forget it so hard. But I think I know one small detail that I'm like, I probably shouldn't know that going in. I wouldn't know. That, I wouldn't ask about the details. I just wonder what you think is going to happen. Do you think you're so going to be handed an envelope with a script? Do with, you think you're going to be no, handed an outline? Do you think that now? Because also we should we should let the audience know or the people listening that we've been rehearsing side by side, so we have actually heard. Some um, of the rehearsal. Some yeah. of the rehearsal. Now it's usually Joe muffled going. And there's but a lot of banging. It seems. Banging. <laughs> there's crying. People are like, I mean, "Let me go!" You please. guys are really going to be surprised by the sword fight. You really shouldn't improvise a sword fight. Raised voices and banging is <laughs> semester two in the UNLV grad program. So the best kind I'm of really excited. I, I can't tell you how excited I am. So I, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's, um, it's going to be so much fun. What I still imagine happens, though, yeah. and this is a guesswork at best, yeah. is that somehow you ask that other character to do certain tasks or to speak to certain individuals or to explain certain things to people that are younger than them. And oh. I don't know why I have that in my head. Wow, what a fun idea. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's... I'm not telling. 
Yeah, that's something in my head where I, there's going to be a major ask and it's going to feel uncomfortable, but there's not going to be a sense of any right and wrong, hopefully, in it. It's just presented on, honestly, but there's going to be some level of discomfort in it. Cool. I'm going to let that hang in the air. Yeah, sure. Now, but I'm also, but I'm also going to mention we've recorded this uh, in middle January uh, tonight, actually, in our rehearsal. We've talked a lot about your wife, uh, Jake. Your wife is actually doing the Coming show tonight, yeah. in rehearsal tonight. I I hope I have your word that you guys will not speak about we, it once she's finished. Uh, I pinky promise swear here. Pinky promise live right here. Okay, oh, everyone knows it. we did a pinky <laughs> promise. That's, that's uh, all. That that's I will all I not ask. ask, and I will shut down any conversation that reveals anything. That's whatsoever. all I ask. There's I mean, nothing we, more binding than two grown men doing a pinky promise. <laughs> no, I mean it's. We, I guess we could binding do the whole knife there, thing. Right? But no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> And that's going to bring us to the end of episode three, season three. I want to thank Jake and Ryan for hanging out and and chatting about Alistair McDowell's brilliant adventures. We love talking about the work, you know, the, the, the writing, the capital T theater, and we hope that you do too. We we think you do. Um, Otherwise, what's the point of all these microphones and, and the buzz conversations, right? So here at Public Fit, those things really inspire us. Um, You can help extend the conversation by not just subscribing, but also by throwing up a quick review or a a one-click rating. Your feedback is essential in guaranteeing that we deliver the topics and interviews that interest you the most. Um, If you prefer the old email, we can be reached at behindthebuzz at apublicfit.org. Join the conversation. There's so much to talk about. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public theater company. It is directed by Anne-Marie Preth and me, Joe Kukin, and is recorded, mixed, and edited by the ridiculously overworked Diane Walton.